sorry I was late. I, I actually ran into my old doctor just as I was coming into the Zendo, and, and uh, I hadn't seen her in a long time, and, and her husband had died. So I was able to give her a big hug. She's, she's a great doctor. Wonderful person. It's nice to run into her. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for being here, for coming to sit. And uh, just as Tracy said at the beginning, I want to especially uh, welcome uh, all of you who are new to our community. Every day Zen, we've been, we've started in uh, about 25 years ago, 23 years ago, and we've uh, enjoyed practicing together all those years. And we hope that uh, any of you who are new to us will be inspired to join us. It's pretty easy to do. All you have to do is show up. That's it. <laughs> no membership forms to fill out. Just show up to our sitting every month. We're here and our weekly Dharma seminar, uh, which you can uh, access by going to everydayzen.org. And for those of you who are here today uh, only, uh, we hope you have a good day and that you get some joy and some peace from it. I hope also that uh, by now, it's been a little while, an hour and a half or whatever it's been, that you've had a chance to settle down with your breathing and your body and get a little bit of a respite from your busy life and from the uh, truly disturbing world uh, in which we live. Or maybe uh, you've been sitting and feeling just exactly how disturbed you are. Maybe your mind has been full of uh, thoughts or just swirling activity that doesn't even quite rise to the level of thought. <clears throat> and if that's the case, um, don't worry. It's always good to sit still and bear witness to what is going on within you, even if what is going on within you is difficult or unpleasant. Since most of the time we're so focused outwardly that we don't even know how we are or what we're feeling. And even sometimes when we think we know how we are or how we're feeling, we don't really know. We're just theorizing. <clears throat> but there's a kind of truth power to just sitting here for a while. Because when you sit here for a while, what is really there in you eventually comes to mind.
And even if it's disturbing, it's good, because to allow what is there to arise is to bring peace to it, to purify it, even if it doesn't feel peaceful or pure. <clears throat> I belong to a couple of uh, Zen teacher listservs, you know, and there's lots of discussions going back and forth. Recently, one of the listservs uh, got into a, an esoteric discussion about how to translate uh, a Japanese term that Dogen famously uses to describe meditation. <clears throat> and, and, and usually the, the way this is translated is something like this. Uh, Dogen says, uh, to do zazen is to practice not thinking. How do you practice not thinking? Non-thinking. This is the essential art of zazen. Dogen says this in, in a number of places. Uh, in Fukan Zazengi especially, we hear that. So the question under discussion in the listserv was, what's the difference between not thinking and non-thinking? And what does Dogen mean by all this? And what's the best way to translate these words? <clears throat> and one person said that uh, his teacher, uh, and it was his Japanese teacher, used to explain non-thinking as let thinking be, or let thinking just be thinking. And I thought that was pretty good. Do you ever wonder, you know, what is thinking, actually? How come it goes on and on, whether you ask yourself to think or not? And you can't control it that much. How is that? The energy of thinking. What fuels thinking? What shapes thinking? Is the self. We believe and have been fully trained to think of ourselves as coherent persons with ideas and thoughts in response to our experiences. And we like ourselves or we don't. We're worried about something or we're not. We're trying to solve a problem or maybe we're just daydreaming. And the thinking goes on based on this hidden and unexamined assumption that I know who I am and what I am. But actually, I don't. I just have this long habit of taking myself for granted. To let thinking be thinking, or to let thinking be, to just let it alone, is to stop allowing my unexamined sense of self to continuously drive 
thinking, to check the assumption that it's me thinking and I'm somehow supposed to get somewhere with my thinking. Instead, just to let a thought that comes come, and then instead of elaborating on that thought with self-interest power, just let it be, let it go, and be surprised by what happens next. I do that all the time. When I hear a bird sing, I don't think that's me or that's mine and I have to do something with that bird song. I just let it come and I let it go. That's non-thinking. If you practice non-thinking for a long time, you will be less likely to be fooled by what you think. And sometimes you will be amazed by the crazy things you think. And the easiest way to practice this is simply to keep your focus on the body and the breathing. Very, very simple. When a thought arises, no matter how interesting it may seem, return your attention to your breathing and your body sitting there. This way you can let thought be thought without making something out of it. And you can have some peace, finally. I just uh, emerged the other day from 10 days of practicing a Zen ritual with three other Buddhist priests. It was very intense, very satisfying. We worked steadily, but we had a good time. And while we were doing that, some pretty tragic events in Israel, Palestine were unfolding. And I, and I noticed it. I was aware of it, but I couldn't think too much about it. And I, I'm sure you all are aware of this, what has been going on there. And, and, and I suppose that some of you have strong feelings about it, are thinking about it a lot, and probably others not so much. Or maybe some of you are just not noticing at all. But this morning I want to share some of my thoughts about the terrible and tragic things that have happened and that are continuing to happen in Israel-Palestine because things like this keep on happening. Not only in that part of the world, but everywhere in the world. There continues to be a violence and war among us human beings who are really so close to one another. We are all related, literally, to one another. We're all family. 
and we all have the same aspirations. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants happiness. Nobody wants to suffer. We're practically identical to each other in every way. So how is it that these horrible things happen? How can we understand it? What can we do about it? Well, first, we have to think of this as two distinctly different things. First, the events themselves, what happens, what we can learn about it, what we can do about it, if anything. And second, how we feel about these events, how we react to them in our hearts and minds. The events themselves are very hard to take in. The brutal, nearly impossible to understand, killings and rapes and hostage takings. Almost as soon as I emerged from our rituals, I was getting phone calls and emails from friends in anguish. One of them, a Zen priest, told me that Unbelievably enough, she was giving a Dharma talk on October the 7th. And while she was giving the talk, she was in real time on the phone with someone, a friend of hers, in one of the Israeli villages near Gaza, who was at that moment trapped in her safe room with her family while Hamas fighters were in the village. Thankfully, she was able to survive and escape, one of the lucky ones. And then the reprisals that followed, the bombings, the killings of innocents, no food, no water, no shelter, no electricity, Can you even imagine how it is for the families in Gaza who lost loved ones, who are living in fear and deprivation, not knowing where they're going to get food to eat and water to drink, not knowing uh, when the next bomb or where the next bomb will fall. And then, you know, one step out from that, the politics. Who's at fault? Who can we blame? Who should speak out? What should they say? What's to be done? It seems that there's enough blame to go around. One of the things that happens in a war almost always is that we know there are good guys and bad guys. But they're, they're, that's never the case. 
Still, yes, we might think one side is more good and less bad, and the other side is more bad and less good. So we argue, we debate, we accuse, and are accused, and we, we flare into upset with one another. And then we read about that upset, we talk about it, and spread it around until the very air is thick with it. There's the idea of the fog of war. In the fog of war, you can't see what's going on. There are no facts, just confusion. No one really knows what's happening. But some things seem very simple and very clear. The Jewish people have suffered for a long, long time. The Palestinian people have suffered for a long, long time. Should we measure and compare who has suffered more or longer and is therefore more justified in killing whom? To me, it also seems clear that shooting innocent people in cold blood, breaking into people's homes, terrorizing them, beating them up, shooting them, raping them, taking them as hostage, is, is indefensible. This cannot be a strategy for righting wrongs. No matter how much you may have been brutalized and unjustly oppressed, with no discernible way out, to lash out like this, is never good. It doesn't help. It violates all human sensibility and it dehumanizes you. There are other better ways to resist injustice. And we have seen other ways in the past. It seems equally clear to me that to bomb innocent people and to brutally dominate a people because some of their number have committed atrocities is wrong. And I'm sorry to be bringing all this up on such a nice peaceful day at Green Gulch. It's difficult and upsetting that there are such things in our world. People tell us we cannot remain silent in the face of such things. And yet, to speak 
is to be misunderstood and probably to add to the pain because the emotions, especially fear and anger, are so strong that whatever you say cannot be heard. All of this that I'm talking about is the outward tragic outward of such events. Mostly we are completely powerless in the face of them. Who doesn't want to stop all this madness? And yet it goes on. But the other side is the inward side. Our feelings about what happens our confusion, our despair, our anger, our fear. I know, as a Jewish person, that consciousness of anti-Semitism is ingrained in me from childhood. Though I was very lucky, to grow up at a time and place in America where there was very little anti-Semitism or so, it seemed to me. I could see how frightened my parents were, how careful they were not to seem too Jewish, too different, and how really and truly they did not trust anyone but the members of their Jewish community. And how aware they were of all the tragedies of the past that were lodged in their very bodies and in the bodies of my grandparents who had experienced these things directly. So I think we all have to appreciate that every Jew anywhere in the world right now is having all sorts of feelings about what is going on in Israel, Palestine. Feelings that go beyond the present circumstances. And Palestinian people whose sufferings more recently are worse are also having many difficult feelings. And so are the rest of us who are not Palestinians or Jews. So how do we practice with confused and difficult feelings? Whether these feelings come as a result of traumas that we see in the world around us or whether they come as a result of personal traumas. How do we live with these feelings? How do we address them, practice with them? This is really important. Well, we practice non-thinking, letting thinking be. According to Buddhism, there is no separation between thinking and feeling just as there's no separation between body and mind. An emotion is something in the body, but in also in the mind. 
when I'm afraid my body is tense and tight, my breathing is constricted, and also I can notice certain ways of thinking. If my fear or some other strong emotion like grief or shame or regret or desire is very strong and I'm not used to coping with it and I don't know how to cope with it, maybe it's too much for me and I won't feel it at all. I'll shut off from that feeling without even knowing that I'm doing that. But it'll be there and it will move me. Or maybe I figured out that I can get around it by using drugs or alcohol or any one of a number of other addictive procedures that are so commonplace there's probably very few people not involved in one of these addictive behaviors like obsessive eating or obsessive sex or entertainment or marathon running or reading the news and watching the videos of violence again and again and again and again, paradoxically to distract ourselves from what we're feeling. Or maybe not, maybe I'm a self-aware person and I know I'm upset and yet I can't stop myself from being upset and getting more and more upset. I have fearful thoughts, disturbing thoughts, all kinds of thoughts that I wish weren't there, but there's nothing that I can do to stop them. When we sit on our cushions, take the time to breathe and return to our body. We are establishing a connection to a kind of basic human sanity that is available to all of us. Human beings have the capacity to endure many, many things. If we did not, we wouldn't be here now. When we breathe and sit with awareness of our body sitting, we are creating space inside us and all around us to allow thinking and feeling to arise without harm and obsession. As we commit ourselves to our practice and continue it over time, we will learn little by little by little, what it is like to allow everything we can think and feel to arise within us without being caught by it. Whatever any human being can feel, including murderous rage, we can also feel and it doesn't need to hurt us. To feel all our feelings, to let them be as they are without grabbing hold of them, without identifying with them, is to profoundly 
forgive ourselves for being human. And when we do that, we forgive everyone else for being human too. Human beings hurt one another and have hurt one another throughout our long history. We have done this. And the shadows of this exist in all of us. We are all victims. We are all perpetrators. We can breathe in and allow this and we can breathe out and release its hold on us. There is no feeling that we could have that we need to be afraid of. There is no feeling that we can have that needs to compel us to unwise action. Simply to sit here long enough is to get in touch with human pain and with the compassion that can address that pain. My wife, Kathy, is also a Zen priest. In fact, we were ordained together with our little two-year-old, uh, our three-year-old uh, sons. Uh, they're twins, same age, watching our ordination ceremony long ago. So Kathy is uh, right now in, at Upaya Zen Center leading a training period there. And she was giving a talk right with the beginning of these uh, attacks. And she spoke about it a little bit. And in her talk, she quoted the famous poem by Thich Nhat Hanh, Please Call Me By My True Names, which I will quote for you now. I'm sure some of you know this poem. It's become very famous. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today I am still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons 
to Uganda. I am a 12-year-old girl, a refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his, in quotes, debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and my pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open the door of compassion. I think what happens to us, it just happens. When we practice together, when we sit, when we bow, when we chant, when we meet one another for Dharma discussions, when we listen to the teachings and when we care, take care of those we love, It happens that we eventually place compassion at the center of our lives. And when we do that, compassion becomes our foundation. So firm, we can be stable with all the other feelings we have in this human lifetime. The world has always been full of joy and full of difficulty. With compassion, as Thich Nhat Hanh writes, we can feel all the joy and all the sorrow, and it can be good, even when it is very, very difficult. Yesterday, we, we, moved by all of this, we, we had a short memorial service for Israel-Palestine. And today, uh, one of our services, I, I think maybe at the end of our day, will also be a service dedicated to our feeling of condolence and, and desire for peace for the people of the Middle East. So I'll end my talk this morning uh, by repeating my Dharma statement that I gave yesterday in our uh, ceremony. This was my statement yesterday. October 7th, 2023 was supposed to be 
one of the most joyful days in the Jewish calendar, the holiday of Simchat Torah, which marks the ending of the annual cycle of Torah reading, weekly Torah reading, and the beginning of the new cycle of Torah reading. It's also the sweet and wonderful conclusion to the long and intense holiday season that begins with Tisha B'Av in the late summer and runs through the days of awe, including Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, and then Sukkot, and finally, at the end of all of this, Simchat Torah, when the tradition is to dance with joy with the Torah as they're taken out of the ark and returned. But October 7th was not a joyful day. It was yet another day of deep mourning in the more than 2,000 year history of days of mourning for the Jewish people. As truly horrifying and shocking attacks, brutal attacks no one thought possible occurred in the state of Israel, ending the lives of many people and terrorizing many others. And then, as everyone expected, including the attackers, the state of Israel began its reprisals, resulting in the terrible loss of life and deprivation for the people of Gaza. Innocent people, most of them, who want to live in peace, who don't deserve this suffering, and who have themselves for a long time been brutalized and the ravaging of Gaza continues. It is so sad to remember that Jews and Arabs are both sons and daughters of Abraham, so closely connected, literally in the same family, the same lineage, with the same passionate faith in one God. Arabs and Jews are like water mixing with water. They are essentially the same people. That their division runs so intractably deep is especially tragic. We are here today to offer incense and to bow and chant in order to extend our condolences and our hopes for peace to all those who have lost their lives and have been caused to suffer by these terrible acts of violence. And I want to especially acknowledge our dear devoted priest, John Murray, sitting over there, whose deep disturbance about these events has moved me and should move us all. If, as we understand, as John said, that all beings are Buddha nature, and that Buddha nature is inherently good and kind and loving, how are such horrors possible in the human world?
yes, we see in our own minds the clouds of karma that cause us to do unwise and unkind actions. Who among us has never done these things, never hurt others? So we understand. But such brutality, such terror, how is it possible? It shakes us to the core. We can't explain it. We can't cover it over with a nice veneer of spirituality. It is raw in our hearts. So we breathe with this. We open our hearts to all of it, difficult as it may be, and bring some peace to our fear and our anguish. We have all been hurt, deeply hurt, and we've all been made fearful and upset as we contemplate these things that have happened in our world. How can we cope with it? And yet, together, we can. And we will. And through this effort, we will drive compassion deeper and truer into our hearts. Finally, I offer a prayer written by somebody I dearly love, Rabbi Sheila Weinberg, who's from Amherst, Massachusetts. She wrote during these days this prayer. Praying together, two peoples, one land, three faiths, one root, one earth, one mother, one sky, one beginning, one future, one destiny, one broken heart, one God. We pray to you. Grant us a vision of unity. source of all amazing differences, help us to see clearly, guide us gently and firmly toward each other, toward peace. Amen. Peace and harmony and love is a kind of wonderful dream. But it's a dream that human beings for a long time have nurtured in, in the human heart. To practice is to 
make that dream real. Starting with oneself. There's no other way, is there? Well, I apologize for not having a more cheerful, lighthearted Dharma talk today. <laughs> and, I, and I especially apologize if I have uh, offended or disturbed uh, someone. I did not intend to do that. I had a whole other Dharma talk I was planning to give, but I realized that I could not speak about these things, and, and, and I hope it has helped some of you. Please don't spend the rest of the day thinking about all of this. Be with your breathing. Be with your body. Invite whatever is in your heart to arise and pass away. We are really lucky people. The world around us in our immediate vicinity is not burning. We can be grateful for our lives. And, and because of that, resolve in whatever way we can to be of service. So thank you all, really and truly, thank you so much for being here and for feeling that uh, to be together in this way is a good way to spend a Saturday. Thank you. Beings are numberless.